The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now to look back at the key topics of this week, including the issue of Irish neutrality, all of the increases in mortgage and um, prices around the country, the cost of living, hotel prices spiking. You heard Stuart Clark talking about Taylor Swift, indications that some hotels had doubled and tripled their room rates by virtue of that. And of course, the discovery that RTE had been paying Ryan Tuberty using a methodology that meant that it wasn't declared publicly as part of his earnings. I am joined by Senator Lynn Boylan, Fain spokesperson on climate justice, Christina Finn, political correspondent with the journal.ie, and Finnegale Senator Mary Siri Carney, who is, of course, Shannon's spokesperson on children. And Lynn, if I might start with you, the uh, revelation uh, in respect of RTE and the payments that have been made for the organisation whose job it is, one of the organisations whose job it is to hold politicians and the political system to account, this will make that job more difficult for them, won't it? No, absolutely. And I suppose that's the most frustrating part for the likes of myself, who's somebody who's who, you know, will constantly advocate that we need a, a national broadcaster when you look at countries that don't have national broadcasters and you see sort of the device of nature politics. But this fundamentally undermines the trust that the public have in that national broadcaster. The fact that they would have gone before Rockdis committees, you know, with the begging bowl out saying we need more money and, you know, and published salaries knowing full well that actually you know, those salaries weren't exactly what they said on the tin. I think it really is damaging to the public trust. There's an element of it, Christina, that again, I I can't wrap my head around one part of this, which is the fact that to use this methodology of payment, so to to get from the 440,000 and take 2021 up to the 515, it cost them an additional 30 grand in fees. They had to pay what is a decent salary in fees just to use this method of payment. That seems extraordinary. Yeah, I think the whole mechanism of how this came about, when you look at the breakdown of, you know, public statements being put out there that actually there was a pay cut when actually it appeared that there was a pay rise and the additional costs that obviously came uh, came with that is the big question as well. And in terms of the, the whole mechanism of the barter account that is traditionally apparently used for advertising, being used to pay out on a salary. Um, I think it has it just has huge questions um, about the accounting, first of all, of what's going on within the public broadcaster um, and, and the governance issues. And I think it does come back to the public trust. Like we're, we're at a time and in an environment at the moment where, you know, the media is in flux, particularly public service broadcasting. There's a lot of other... Um, you know, organisations and uh, operators trying to grab the attention of people's eyeballs and, um, you know, put out misinformation or, um, you know, not, you know, straight and accurate news stories. And like, it really is an important time right now to have, you know, trust in the media. And there's constant reports coming out. uh, The Reuters one recently last week about, you know, trust um, and where people, you know, see the media and um, where they they trust what the, what they're hearing. And this just it totally really damages the brand. I just can't really express, I don't think, how publicly this is going to come across, you know, and, and particularly at a time where, you know, with the high income earners, um, if people cast their minds back, you know, we're talking about when that big conversation happened, it was after the banking crisis, you know, people were on their knees and people were looking at RTE and some of the top income earners and rightly looking at the high salaries and saying, look, we're all feeling it here. You know, everyone needs to take a cut. And, you know, 
the fact that those um, statements come out every year, like everybody talks about them. It always has been the case that it's a huge issue of discussion. Um, you know, the media jumps on them and reports them because, it, you know, it is a matter of public interest. And it always has been since since that banking crisis and, and the feeling of everyone you know, being, well, the, the in, being in, this, in it together. Because there's, there's two elements to it. One is the sheer scale of the payment, obviously. And there are there are other positions. I mean, Robert Watt is a case in point of the Department mm. of Health. There would have been a lot of discussion on this programme and others about whether or not he should have received the monies that he received. But it is a question of what's the value of yeah. that person. The methodology of the, the payment in this instance, I mean, Mary, if I get your views on it. If we took this out of the realm of broadcasting and we said, let's imagine it's Dublin bus. And Dublin Bus receives money from advertisers to put stuff up on the side of the buses. If you said, well, we'll take some of that money and pay it directly to a senior executive in Dublin Bus rather than having it come out of salary, that's the kind of thing that would be a massive scandal. If it was any state agency, never mind the one whose job it is to hold others to account. Absolutely. And and I think today, more than ever, we need to, to remember, and my heart goes out to the ordinary workers in RTE who are not on eye-watering amounts of money, who are on quite very modest, very, very modest salaries as they've been quantified for researchers in that today, uh, who aren't benefiting from any of this and who are who took the cut together and who thought we were all in it together to find this sort of mechanism. And this sort of mechanism um in any company, if we take it out of the realms as you have done, out of the realms of RTE, if we if we look at any organisation, first of all, in corporate governance, the essence is the competence in the board, the ability to ask questions. Are they getting the correct information? Do they know when they have the, the full information and the full picture or not? And so do you have that level of competency? And normally under, under company law, there is a requirement there for that competence of the board. So the next thing is, OK, there's an audit system involved in in in, in the regulation of any company and clearly the audit worked this year in that it unearthed irregularities um but what happened to the previous year's audit system? Uh, so were there individuals who on the other end of it thought everything was kosher here, everything has worked and it's been done thoroughly and robustly uh, and so it that, that piece of information was taken into account or was that account deliberately withheld from the auditors? Was it hidden from them? So you've got to ask about the, the role of the auditors here in previous years. That but we also do have to put a dividing line in because there has been no question nor is there any question about the legality of this payment. There's no issue as to whether or not it's a legal payment. It is to do with the probity and the appropriateness of it in an organisation which then publicly states these salaries as um, part of its transparency. But, but also publicly states and benefits from the idea that people were taking pay cuts. Do you know what I mean? That that was put out into the public yeah. in realm that, you know, these high earners were taking pay cuts and people were going, OK, well, fair enough. You know, some of us might have liked bigger pay cuts. But the point was they were benefiting both personally and the organisation for that messaging of pay cuts when in actual fact those pay cuts weren't necessarily happening. And that's where the, the trust element comes in and again not just from the public but but Mary is right for those workers who really thought that, that you know as an organisation we were all in it together and they weren't um, you know and, and we the know differential the is significant. If you look at the years like if you take 2022 as a case in point and again if you look at it on the cost side so including the additional fees and charges incurred by virtue of using the barter account the publicly stated cost of paying uh, Ryan Tuberty was €440,000 the actual cost was 555000 that's a 
fair discrepancy. Oh no, absolutely. And that, that's information I didn't even know until right. you've, mm-hmm. you've told us there today. Do you mean, and that's, I suppose, why it's so important that uh, we do have the Public Accounts Committee um, holding RT to account and having them come in and Well, what's going to happen? Let's imagine you're, you find yourself as, as the party in government after the next election and the DG and the chair come to you as they will and say, look, we need the media charge. The licence fee is insufficient. We're on our uppers. We can barely make ends meet. How can you wear that argument politically in the context of this? Well, that's that's why I suppose this is such a bombshell for everybody because you have the national broadcaster, which you want the separation of power between the political system and the media. Um, but they were going into Oireachtas committees and not giving accurate information. Uh, you know, and so the, it's the Oireachtas committee who will have to hold them to account, which is a cross-party body. But You'd also ask, well, who's going to hold, other than the Oireachtas Committee, you know, will Dee Forbes give an interview on this process and who's going to interview her? Do you mean, so there's all of these questions about how you hold it to account and that's why it is such a damning uh, revelation that's come out. Because I think it's about truth and accuracy and how the the figures were presented and I think had they come out and said, this is the base salary that we have and we also have come to arrangement of a commercial partnership uh, top up and that's 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 what we've decided. Then that would be out there in the open and then everyone could have a discussion and scrutinise that. But we weren't given that opportunity to, to discuss that and, and talk about the moral or the ethics. And obviously there is no question about the legality of that at all. But the whole point is that that just wasn't presented to us. And speaking to people that I know within Orchie, like people are furious in there. Um, because, you know, NUJ um, unions went in there to do negotiations on paying conditions and they expected that the books that were open to them were truthful and accurate. And that's what they were negotiating on the basis of. And now, you know, now they're taking into question about what was presented to them and, and whether they were on the, you know, the back foot in the negotiations with management in terms of pay. Like there's, you know, there's really good, hardworking people within RT that are, you know, they don't get the focus because, you know, the top 10 earners do. Mm. And, you know, those people are in work today feeling seriously disgruntled, having meetings in there. And, you know, it, it's difficult to know where it's all going to land mm. at the end of this. Yeah. They're people a union put- negotiated for them with their hands tied behind their back because mm-hmm. they didn't have the true, yeah. the true information and the accurate information and now more than ever the sense of trust you know when we have disinformation we have clickbait we have we look to the states and we see depending on you know political allegiances now more than ever we need that fourth estate the media in a in a democracy are so vital so having this erosion of trust in that is is just such a breach. It's such a breach on on so many levels. The the fiscal um you know prudence of of the RTE organisation, but also in the ability to believe in the media and what and the trust in in what you're being given. And if if there is a lack of transparency in the figures that are published for salaries, then people start wondering and questioning and that should but never happen. As well, the it question, should never. It's the why we need a national broadcaster. Rightly being asked is where is D Forbes? You know, we're heading into a weekend. It's a media organisation. It knows the way the cycle works. Mm-hmm. We're heading into a Saturday and a Sunday and this is prime fodder to fill out newspaper page, uh, pages and radio programmes because the answers are just not there. Like they need to come out front and centre. Um, yes, the statement yesterday was, was quite detailed. Um, you know, some commentators are, are saying Ryan Tuberty needs to flesh out his statement a bit more um, and, and the agent also. But D Forbes at the end of the day, that's where the book stops and 
you know, if we're heading into a weekend here and they're hoping that this is going to die down come Monday, uh, you know. And I'm seriously. sure the journal has been doing the same, but we have been putting in requests for representatives of RTE to join us on this programme and every other programme. Yeah, like I actually talk, got wind of, of the issue that was within RTE before the news broke. Not the exact details, but RTE, like it definitely was mutterings after the board meeting on Monday that something big was coming this week and the details weren't... Um, you know, forthcoming, you know, statements. Uh, I know I put in requests um, early in the week to RT for a statement on why external auditors were being brought in, um, you know, and those statements from RT were not forthcoming until really the bomb had dropped at that point. So, you know, I think, I don't know whether they were on the back foot with this, where they thought it would they might get another week out of it. Um, but yeah, it, there's no escaping that this was going to be massive news. Let's stay with issues to do with money, this time the money that affects all of us, because we discovered this week that Ireland is the most expensive country in the EU and that by pretty much any category, whether you take motoring costs, whether you actually the only thing we're pretty good on, I think, is white goods. You can buy a fridge for a decent rate. Other than that, we're about as expensive as it gets. And then we discover that um, hotel prices are soaring thanks to the arrival of Taylor Swift uh, and the cost of living is soaring. Lynn, the government spokespeople, Pascal Donoghue, talking to Kieran Cuddy on the hard shoulder as case in point, expressed generalised concern about this, Mm -hmm. but very little in the way of specifics for immediate action to solve it. No, it, it's like a, a hands-off approach going, God, well, this is awful now. Somebody should do something about this. And you're like, well, you're in government. <laughs> you know I mean, so like we've had Fine Gael have a petition asking energy companies to reduce the prices. We've had Neil Richmond bring the retailers in for a cosy chat. So what we want to see is a, is a much more hands-on approach from now, government. In their defence, what's in their power to do? Well, number one, when it comes to energy, we have repeatedly called for greater oversight of the hedging practices of energy companies and, and other countries have that. So you don't want energy companies to open up their books to the public. That's fair enough. But we do. Other countries have greater oversight. So we could see how they were hedging and those wholesale prices are falling, but how that's impacting on different energy companies. Something else they could do is the, the regulator has told us that they can't do anything about the standing charge. So even if households and businesses are reducing their use, trying to bring their bills down, they're standing charges going up or staying the same. The regulator can't do anything about that because they don't have the powers. We've brought forward a bill uh, to address that. So there's a number of things they could do certainly around energy that could bring down the cost. And let's not, and let's not forget as well <laughs> that at the time when you've got small and medium businesses and households really struggling that it's only uh, a couple of months ago that the CRU unwound the fact that we were subsidising the large energy users, the highly profitable data centres and pharmaceutical companies we were all subsidising their electricity bills. What about the other elements of cost of living? Things like you go to do the shopping and food costs have gone through the roof. Things like the still high, though not as bad as it was, cost of fuel, but the high transport costs. All of those things combined with the increasing interest rates for the average punter just trying to make ends meet week in, week out. Is there much that can be done there? Well, I suppose one is greater transparency about the profits of the the large uh, supermarkets is is definitely something that needs to happen. But also we're seeing that it's the food processors are making high profits. So I think was it um, one of the the food processing companies a fourteen percent margin profit. So. I think that's where we've been calling for the regulator of the of food prices to have, you know, that greater oversight of who who exactly is benefiting. We know a lot of the farmers aren't. I mean, we know certainly the customers aren't, but there are people in the middle who are making an awful lot of money, and that is food processors and the big uh, the big multi- multinational retailers. A fair degree of specifics there, Mary. As a member of the government party, do you see any uh, specific actions being taken to do anything about the cost of living? Well, I think that first of all, yes, there's no question that the cost of living here appears to be 
much higher than it is in other in other countries. But so also are the are our wages. They're proportionately higher than they are in other EU countries and EU states. So to look at minimum wage, and we are the the fourth highest for minimum wage even in the, within the EU countries. Which isn't much so, solace if you're on that minimum wage well, trying to buy things. Let me add to that that we had a cost of living uh, budget given last year where we had both universal and very specific targeted measures to assist in, uh, to assist families. And more recently, last week, we had the publication of the minimum essential standard of living. And in the in the statements that came out around that, in looking that while that had gone up, at the same time, Robert Thornton and Bernadette McMahon in, in publishing that looked at that income adequacy versus income inadequacy had not changed. And that was down to a lot of the government interventions that were very specific and targeted and supporting families when it comes to the cost of energy and 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 across the board ensuring that people had more money to spend. You, and I'm sure we will see measures like that in the budget again in this autumn. If you have any views, 53106 at a cost of 30 cent or you can WhatsApp us 87 106 I'm reminded of that impression done by Steve Van Zandt in The Sopranos of Al Pacino where he says, I tried to get out and you dragged me back in. We have just received a statement from Moya Doherty. Moya, of course, being the former uh, person responsible for Riverdance, head of Tyrone Productions, one of the um, senior figures in the creation of uh, Today FM and went on then to become chairman of the RT board, which she was until I think November-ish of last year. And she has released a statement in relation to the matter saying, At no time during my tenure as chair of the RT board did I or other members of the board have knowledge of any issue relating to certain payments and the profoundly serious lack of transparency involved. The matters which have come to light go to the heart of a failure of good corporate governments. Up until I concluded my term as chair in November 2022, I was not made aware of the issue relating to these payments. I and my colleagues on the board should have been comprehensively briefed on all aspects of the payments and the manner in which they were dealt with in the accounts. The issue did not emerge until after an audit of the 2022 accounts. It is difficult, Christina Finn, to see a way that a former chairman could more firmly distance herself from the entire thing than that statement. Yeah, that's a pretty telling statement, I have to say. And I think it answers um, one of the key questions that's been being asked over the last um, day or so was, you know, the board, what they knew and if all the board members, um, you know, were in the dark on this. And she seems to be pretty categoric that um, nobody, including herself, um, had any... Um, notification or any sign off or any agreement to do with these. But not just that, let me highlight a couple of bits. They should have been briefed. So it's not just that they weren't briefed Mm -hmm. according to the former chairman. She said they should have been, but were not. And she's describing it as being the heart of a failure of good corporate governance. Yeah, they're such serious words to come from a a former board member, I think, of Orti. And it's really it's kicking it upstairs, really. Um, to, to well, in this instance, <laughs> kicking it downstairs a bit. Yes. Yeah. Actually, well, I can't think of an instance, Lynn, where the former, where the as it once was, would have been the RT authority, but then the RT board, where the chairman of the RT board or former chairman has described a failure of good corporate governance and a lack of transparency within the organisation which they were chair. Well, I think that the statement is very clearly sets out that you know if if that's the case that they didn't know that they're as deeply frustrated and shocked by the revelations as as the public are, um, you know, and and certainly you know I would want 
to distance myself. If I was a board member and you did not know anything about it, then you would be right to distance yourself. But that then opens up more questions. Who did sign off on the deal? Who did know about it? Um, you know, and why were the boards not informed? So it's it's opening up more questions. And it goes back to so what Christine was saying is, you know, D Forbes cannot uh, say, use the excuse, I'm on holidays to not answer the questions. We need to have answers uh, to those no, questions. And of course, we, we should make clear that we have no insight whatsoever as to what, if any role, D Forbes had in any aspect of this. But as the Director General, exactly. she is the Chief Executive and Officer ex- and therefore exactly. the, the well, ultimate so the question is who, who are the negotiators? How is information prepared for the board? Who, Where is discretion exercised? Because between an executive and non-executive function, between a board and the actual management there has to be discretion exercised in the in the day-to-day negotiations but how is that administered and who knew who who was I mean maybe for commercial sensitivities there are certain things that have to be kept to a very small crew but that couldn't be a more damning distancing statement than it is to have board the, the, what the chair of the board to come out and say we never we weren't briefed we didn't have the information um, so what information did as they well, have you there are like elements to know of this, what information they did have some aspects of the agreement that seem ostensibly relatively minor are in and of themselves I think more significant than they're getting credit for for instance this was a commercial deal with an independent third party but it was guaranteed and underwritten by RTE for either another mm. year, another year and a half, which created a liability of 75,000 mm-hmm. plus to RTE in the instance that that part. That's a significant amount at of public how, money. At its yeah. very nature, the risk of that. I mean, auditing is also about management of risk and management of a financial exposure. That should have been slag- flagged somewhere that within a that w- within a negotiation, there was a potential financial risk to the and particularly when the commercial partner pulled out, that if, if, even if flags weren't raised at the beginning mm. of the negotiation, and this is, and we'll underwrite that, and we actually don't think we'll ever have to underwrite it. But they did actually pull out, and RT did have to step in. So at that point, were flags not raised to say, mm-hmm. "Okay, here, look, I don't think we can actually pay this out of the coffers here." You know, the deal was the deal, and now they have pulled out. We probably shouldn't yeah. have underwritten it. But this while is at the are. same time Please bearing the, the addition at this point, point. in time yeah. that, by the way, we've He's, underwritten yeah, this deal and here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Finally, uh, the other topic that has been a notable this week, particularly given the fact that protesters against uh, NATO um, interrupted the Tánaiste Michal Martin while he was speaking at um, UCC. Uh, the discussions around Ireland's security and everybody is seeing it as a, a wider implication towards our neutrality. Do you, Lynn Boylan, accept the general assertion that some seem to be making that these discussions are a bit of a stalking horse to allow us to soften our neutrality? Absolutely. And that's been going on. Uh, It's been going on for years, but particularly since the war in Ukraine, you've seen, um, you know, repeated uh, mentions about Ireland's neutrality and Ireland having to take responsibility and this sort of softening, trying to soften people. But yes, poll after poll shows that the Irish people are really, really proud of the fact that they are a neutral state. And I have to say, I was quite taken aback by the tone of the Taunashi yesterday with the protesters. And I would say, would he have taken that approach with climate protesters or with the IFA? Okay, well, let me give final final word then to um, uh, Mary Siri Carney on, on that topic. I, I think that 
or neutrality is not in question, but a reality in a grown up conversation about a world where cyber security is a real risk. And we we saw what happened with the HSE, where we have to cooperate across Europe, where there are, there are things and decisions that politically we have to make. So while militarily we are neutral, we're all absolutely committed to that. Politically, we're not. And okay. we have never been. And we've never had protests of Citizens' Assembly, so why not a Citizens' Assembly? Well, (laughs) (laughs) would that we had time. Andrea Gilligan is chomping at the bit outside to come in to do Lunchtime Live, so we will have to return to this at a later date. Senator Lynn Boyle and Sinn Féin spokesperson on climate justice, Christina Finn, political correspondent with thejournal.ie, and Fine Gael Senator Mary Siri Carney and Shannon spokesperson on Children. Guys, thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.